learn the business, learn the business. That's, um, and, and whether you're uh, becoming an, an actor or a musician, um, an, a fine artist, a painter, a sculptor, or in, in animation, you have to know something about the way the business is run because it's, it's easy to get taken advantage of or, or you just might not even get to it. You might think like, oh, I just want to, I just want to play music. I just want to compose music. Well, how do you sell that music? How are you going to make a living at it? Or, or you might think, oh, I want to, I just want to sculpt. I just want to carve things at a marble or make uh, ceramics or, or, or paint oil paintings. Well, you know, it's, it's very important to be, to, to strive to be the best that you can at that, but you also have to find a way to make a living at that. Welcome back to Don't Follow the Leader. If this is your first episode, this is a platform where we sit down with society's exceptions and try to understand how they think and what motivates them. So if you think that's something you'd be interested in, don't forget to subscribe to the channel and join our journey. It would also be awesome if you could follow us on social media and subscribe to our newsletter for more information about our guests and some other fun content that we're curating. Today's episode is special for two reasons. It's the first episode post rebranding and also this is our first international guest. His name is Pete Mitchells. He's an animation director and he's worked on some of the most amazing shows. I'm talking Rick and Morty, The Simpsons, Family Guy. He was also nominated for an Emmy in 2000. If you want to pursue a career in art, this episode will probably be super useful for you because we talk about the history of animation, his journey, and his advice to people who want to pursue careers in art. So stick around to the end and share this video if you like it. Pete, thank you so much for joining me. Oh, thanks for having me. It's always a pleasure. Before we talk about animation, I want to know what are you thinking about when you're not thinking about your work? <laughs> uh, well, you, you know, you always worry about it. It's always in the back of your mind. But uh, um, I don't know. I do a lot of outdoor things. You know, I, I go a lot of hikes and uh, I love being outdoors and, and nature and you know, hiking in the forest and painting. I do a lot of watercolor paintings. Uh, you know, and, and, and the weird things like I collect license plates for some reason. Okay. I don't know why. That's cool. Uh, could you talk a bit about the history of animation, where it started and where it is now? Yeah, sure. Um, I mean, we've been doing digital animation for about uh, 15, 20 years now. I mean, it, it, as far as storyboarding and design, um, a lot of painting was always done in Photoshop, uh, uh, even if it was um, uh, done with by hand-drawn animation. But animation goes back... Um, you could trace it back to the beginning of, of uh, cinema and motion pictures when the motion picture camera was invented. And also we can see images moving in succession. So you can see like, you can draw motion all of a sudden. Um, so that goes back uh, about 100 years, 150, 115, 120 years or so. Right. But uh, really, and I, I don't think I can share something with you. Sure. It, it actually goes back even further than that. Uh, prehistoric people were thinking about motion when they were drawing cave paintings 30,000 years ago. And I can share something. Like if you look at the cave paintings in France, they're, um, they're actually drawing some of the movement that they saw that the, uh, uh, that the animals were making. Let me just share my screen here real quick. So you can see here, there's a, um, a bunch of deer. Right. And they're, 
you know, looks like several different deer, but there, it, it, it could be one deer and that's the movement he makes. Which, right. I mean, that's, that's actually, if you were to in between that, if you're going to take that and I can, I can animate that. I can actually trace those deer and put them in order on a screen. And that is the head movement that the deer would make. Right. Great. So on this one, you can see even on, on the upper corner here, there's some, um, looks like a rhinoceros or, or something, uh, an animal with a horn. Right. And you can even like, different almost like motion lines here speed lines yeah. there's like speed lines in cave paintings it's fantastic right. you know you can see this buffalo here has you know you can see one two three there's four three legs here four and two three four legs here this is right. one buffalo with four legs or on or eight legs actually right. and then what they're doing they're actually drawing on one image they're drawing the movement of the legs so they knew already that like oh you can translate and, and this is like thinking of the there's that you know fourth dimensionally there's you know 2d obviously is like flat artwork 3d is is like computer animation or live action film but the um the fourth dimension which is time and you're working on a timeline so right. uh, they're already thinking about that and even this one uh puzzled um archaeologists for a long time where uh i don't know if you can can you see that one with the two discs right yeah, that's you know this this puzzled archaeologist for at, at first because they didn't know what that was and why there was a hole in it and then they realized that this is something that goes uh, they went back to um, persistence of vision where you could um, in the late 1890s they were very popular with these discs with a hole in it and the string and you spin the string the disc spins and you'd see that your eye would catch the two images and it would look like they were moving so this uh. is actually early animation this is these are these are key poses basically there's a the deer with the legs stationary and then the deer with the legs moving and when you flip that over when they put a string on it uh, tied to the center hole rotated it the disc would flip and you'd see the deer moving that's crazy you know, just fascinating stuff it goes back and just goes back 25 30,000 years ago um uh I'll stop sharing now right. so it, it uh, obviously then yeah, we knew about movement and how to uh, draw movement. Even George Brock's uh, New Descending a Staircase in, in the 1800s was one painting of one person walking down a set of stairs. And so he was already thinking like, there's different uh, poses for each step. And then there's like drawing, there's like drawing the in-betweens. And then once Edward Moybridge came out with his book of uh, um, photographic movement where he did a tripwire with like dozens of cameras and the people or animals or horses would uh, run or walk and they would do the tripwires he would capture an image along the way of each one and then once you put those together you can study how uh, animals or humans move and and uh, that led to that was that was became the inspiration for a lot of um, animators to, to draw motion so it goes back pretty far and then once the, the movie cameras invented then everything just took off and right. and it's fascinating to think about steamboat willie walt disney came out with that in like 1928 29 something like that and it was less than 10 years later you went from steamboat willie which is really crude i mean it's great because it was it was um, groundbreaking in the fact that it had sound and you could sync movement and motion to sound right. using the technology of the time the 1920s Fast forward to like less than 10 years later, uh, you have Snow White. So it went from this really crude black and white drawing of Mickey Mouse to this beautiful, full color Snow White and Seven Dwarfs in less than 10 years. So uh, once the technology catches up with us, you know, we're always, even now, we're, everything's moving so fast. I mean, 10 years ago, 
And if you look at Toy Story, I was just watching Toy Story 1 last week with my family, and you can even see the advances since then. Right. It's 20 years. Yeah. How much, between Toy Story 1 and Toy Story 4, yeah. how much the software has changed, how defined it's gotten, how much more detailed it's gotten. So what's the process of animation like now? When you approach a new project from scratch, how does that go? Um, depends on the on the production, and it it's if you're if it's a feature, um, it goes through a lot of different story um, incarnations. So you, you start with the basic premise. There's you know let's say wreck it Ralph. You know you're starting with Zog. He's this guy that lives in computer games, and his his game is to wreck things. And mm-hmm. so you 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 experiment different story ideas and kind of flesh out the story over time. You're boarding it and storyboarding it and trying different things and redoing things and changing things constantly to get that story down to the absolute best um with television it's a little bit you're on a more of a time schedule so with television animation and with also streaming animation i most want to say television everything's kind of streamed now but mm. um not so much broadcast except there are still some broadcast uh outlets like fox and cable right like adult swim but um for television animation uh there's two ways of going about production one is what's called a board driven show which means that the writer comes up with an outline. SpongeBob gets a driver's license. Hmm. And then, you know, maybe he has a paragraph or so of the story. This is a story outline. And then hands it off to the animation director, the storyboard director, the storyboard artist. And they take that story and they come up with gags and jokes and, and like, oh, and then and how does SpongeBob get a driver's license? Does he fail? Does he pass? Does he, you know, take lessons along the way? So the storyboard artist then will kind of flesh that out and write dialogue and gags as they go. Then they'll go back and record those dialogue, that dialogue and then you know, finish up the poses. Um, for adult animation, for, it's not for kids. It's usually scripted. So it starts with a script. Then the writers will write a script, whether for an 11-minute show, it might be you know 20-page script. For a half-hour show, it might be um, a 50-page script. Right. And then it gets recorded first. The vocals. The dialogue is right. recorded okay. first. Yeah, so that we can... Yeah, so that way we can draw to, we can hear the, um, the emotion and the expression in our heads. And we go, oh, that looks, sounds like this character smiling or crying or um, tearing up with emotion or something or super happy or laughing. Right. That way we can, we can hear that and then we draw to that. And then also there's a lot of times there's cues in, in that audio too. Like if a character's yelling across the room, they're going to be, you know, you're, you're going to hear them going, hey, come wait for me. So you're gonna know like, okay, well that has to be on a real wide shot. You wanna see the character far away. So there's little right. clues along the way that help you. And then once we get the storyboards and it's, we figure out the angles and the shots to tell the story, Who, where's the camera placement where, and the camera is kind of in our head. It's like an imaginary camera. Like, right. where, what am I looking at? What do I want the audience to see? Um, and it's different from like directing animation and directing film is different than directing theater. It's like with theater, you're a, a theater director's challenged in the way that, uh, you want the audience to look at a certain place. How do you do that? Well, if I'm in the audience in the theater, I can look, I'm just me. I'm looking at the stage set, I'm looking at the lights, I'm looking around, I'm looking, talking to my wife. Right. So how do you focus somebody to, to like me, to who's looking all over the place yeah. to, to focus on what you want them to see? And a lot of times the answer is movement because your eye follows the movement. So in a stage play, either lighting the director will have it lit lighting director will have it lit on i want you to look at this character right now this person is talking in there and then i want you to look at this or if i want you to look at this character i might make them move across the stage so your eyes will automatically draw to that movement so there's with 
with film and animation, it's different. That like, if I want you to look at something, I'll just cut to it. If I want you to look at this character's face to get a reaction, I'll cut to that character's face. Right. If I want you to look at like, you know, a sign on the wall uh, for a joke or, or an important story point, I'll cut to it. So you mm -hmm. can look at nothing else but that. So that's that's kind of where it's fun to. Um, uh, that's the challenge actually. It's like to tell that story, but to get the audience to look at what you want them to look at. Right. Uh, do you think there's any other ways in which from a storytelling point of view, uh, animation can do stuff that film or theater can't? Oh, absolutely. Although it, today's filmmaking, there's special effects has come so far. Yeah. There's just amazing things you can do with special effects. Now. Right. Um, I mean, just like I, you, I'm sure you've seen uh, Forrest Gump with Tom Hanks, and, yeah. you know, he's where he's talking with you know, President Kennedy in 1960s and, and like, well, it's Tom Hanks. I know it's Tom Hanks, but right. he's talking to John F. Kennedy. How can that be? Right. So there's a lot that uh, special effects would come a long way. And so there's a lot of things you can do. And also a lot of movies are integrated. I mean, even the, the, Gal the uh, a lot of the Marvel movies, there's so much CG in there, the computer graphics and computer generated images that are blended with the live action. There's so much you can do with live action films that you 50 years ago, you couldn't do. That's right. Um, it was cost prohibitive, but right. with animation, you can do, you don't, you're not stuck to human characters. You can, you know, you can make, you know, a sponge be a character yeah. or, um, you know, there's even, there's pickle and peanut, the, right. you know, there's apple and onion there. You know, you can look at the Pixar movies, you know, toys can be characters and, um, you know, animals and, and robots and everything can be a character. Everything can, can emote in the, the challenge then is like, how do you, you can record a voice, but to match that character to the voice, the actor's performance, that's where that character comes alive when you match those together. So I think an animation is special and unique in the way that you can do that with, you can animate anything. You can animate, you can make a character have a rock and a, a, a coffee cup. It doesn't, you know, there's, you know, there's, there's just infinite possibilities of what you can do with animation. Does an animation director play any role in designing the character itself or is that a writer's job? Oh, absolutely. Uh, probably more so the animation director and the design team. Okay. Because uh, I work with closely with an art director. Um, right. Some shows don't, like with, with The Simpsons, uh, that show was designed by Matt Groening, who created Futurama and also Disenchantment, now Netflix. And right. He was known for his comic strips in the 80s and 90s, the Life and Hell comic strips. So he had a distinct style, the large eyes and the overbite, uh, and his characters were, were rabbits. And, um, and so he designed the original Simpsons and they kind of got refined over time. The animators, um, David Silverman, who, who I've worked with on Simpsons, who created that, and Wes Archer, who animated those sh original uh, Simpsons shorts, they were working off a sketch from Matt Groening and they animated those. And then over time, the, the, during the series, those characters got refined and then there were a team of designers that would design other characters based on those stylistic uh, uh, specifications for, right. for Simpsons. Same with Family Guy, Seth MacFarlane designed the original characters. Um, actually, I think that came out of a student film. Okay. It started as a student film at the Rhode Island School of Design. Some of right. those characters went way back to his student days. Right. Um, and along the way, he developed other characters and you know, fleshed out them. So everything kind of evolves. But once the, the show is in production, it's impossible for one person to design all those characters. So you have a team of designers that will design the characters. But the writers don't really, unless you're um, the writer as and an artist, 
Um, like for instance, Seth MacFarlane was a writer and an artist. So he wrote the original script and designed the characters. Um, I don't think Matt Groening didn't write the stories, but he designed the characters. Um, with SpongeBob, Steve Hillenburg designed the characters and wrote the story. So right. uh, it depends on, on if you're an artist and a writer, you, you do both, but then you hand it off to other people. And then also writing too, if, you're, if your series gets popular, well, you can't write all the scripts, so you have to. Right. Uh, and that, that's one thing I, I tell people today too, is you know, when, when people ask like, what do you have any advice for students um, that want to do animation, get into animation? My first thought is always to, to don't do what I did. I ignored writing. Okay. Um, I always say creative writing, study creative writing as well as animation if you want to succeed. Because um, for me, I mean, I, I learned writing later in life. So okay. if I, I, I'm sure I would be a much better writer now if I had paid attention in, in creative writing classes or took more creative writing classes. Because my, my big influence growing up was um, the Charles Schultz and who did, created the Peanuts characters in okay. comic strips. Um, Snoopy, exactly. Charlie Brown, yeah. those, those are my big influences. And so I grew up thinking, I just want to draw funny pictures. I want to draw silly pictures. I don't want to know anything else. Right. Uh, I just want to study that. And it wasn't until much later I, I realized like, well, Charles Schultz also wrote 40 years of comic strips and he wrote all the Peanuts uh, holiday specials, the movies. He wrote The Great Pumpkin. He wrote The Christmas Special. He wrote all those um, Easter Beagle and the, the A Boy Named Charlie Brown. He wrote all those. All those were his writings as well as the drawings. So I, I wish I had paid more attention in, in creative writing. Um, so now I'm like playing catch up to try to get, become a better writer. Um, but it's, uh, yeah, it, 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 there's, um, for television adult animation, um, most writers, I mean, a lot of times writers, um, they will, um, if they create something for animation, they will hire an art director first to be the first hire to come up with right. the look of the show. Okay. Um, this brings me to my next question. So I took questions from my followers for this podcast because yeah. a lot of people were really excited about the opportunity oh. to ask their questions to you. And um, a lot of young artists want to know where to start. They don't, they don't know what direction to go in. So tell me about your background. When did you know that this was something that you wanted to do? And what are the decisions you took to get you to where you are today? Uh, I kind of was drawing since I could hold a pencil. Uh, I, I always liked to draw. I always like to draw cartoon characters, uh, Peanuts, Flintstones, um, you know, even going back to Mickey Mouse. And, and, and I was always copying things that I had in books. I, right. I remember getting a, 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 a Charlie Brown or Snoopy dictionary for Christmas once. And, uh, and I would draw all the, all the Peanuts characters. And I would just copy all the characters and learn to draw them. And um and boats i like to draw boats for some reason <laughs> and uh i so I, I always thought i wanted to do something like that and then you know i'd, I'd watch disney movies and and i think oh that'd be you know great to, and i would try to recapture them and redraw things and you know from from magazines or books that i had about disney movies and i try to redraw that and learn how to draw that but i, I kind of thought well after you know was in high school i think i thought well I, I probably you know that's probably a long shot to do that so but I always knew I wanted to be an artist because I, I, it's really what I, what I enjoyed doing. And whether it was, I always thought I, I originally studied um, illustration and design. Okay. And I thought, oh, I, I, I love painting. I love you know, composition, creating compositions and, and just graphic design and, and arranging elements in a way that's pleasing to the eye and draws you to a certain point and tells the story. 
Um, so I studied illustration and designs, and I thought, um, and I, I'm from the New York City area, so I, I was thought, well, there's a lot of art, creative jobs in, in New York City, whether it's print or, or commercials. Um, so I studied illustration design and thought I was going to do that. And I to took, an, I still wanted to do cartooning. I still enjoyed cartooning. I took some cartooning classes. And I took an animation class uh, back back there. And I enjoyed it so much that it, it, the book, the textbook for the class had a list of schools that had an animation program. And back then there weren't as many. Like now there's a lot of animation programs. A lot of schools have animation programs. I actually teach a two of them. Okay. Um, part-time. I do a, a Starbucks class at Cal State Fullerton and, and, and I'm also involved with the Los Angeles Academy of Figurative Art. And, but back, back when I was going to college, there were maybe a handful of, of classes. There was Cal Arts, there was Sheridan College in Canada, um, School of Visual Arts in New York, they were Rhode Island School of Design. Um, UC, and UCLA was one of the other schools that had an animation program. Well, I had just gotten a degree in illustration, so I was like, well, I don't want to you know, if I go back to college, I already have a degree, yeah. but UCLA had a graduate program. So it was okay. a master's program. Right. So I was working in New York City and I thought, oh, I'll just, you know, I really enjoyed that animation class. I'll, I'll apply to, to UCLA. And if I yeah. get in, I'll move to Los Angeles for a couple of years. If not, no big deal. I'll stay in New York and, and you know, try to build a career here. Right. And I got in. So I got into UCLA and the uh, graduate animation program. So I thought, okay, well, I guess I'm moving to Los Angeles for a couple of years. And yeah. Never thought I'd, I'd be living here <laughs> time later, but so I, I uh, when I was at UCLA, um, you know, I made a lot of connections. The biggest thing for animation uh, is is the connections you make in school. And a lot of people think, well, why do you go, you know, if it's something you can do that, but today it's, it's, it's very important to, to, to um, go to school. This is not just, just, not just learning the craft, but you're also learning this. There's now there's a lot of software involved. There's a lot of, equipment that's very expensive that if you're going to a school um it's it's uh um um you know much easier access to get right. the, the access to that um and if uh you know once i was at ucla again that was equipment it wasn't digital yet so we had you know really we had the camera we had uh, editing equipment and, and really you know a lot of equipment that goes along with it because animation you can't really just do on paper and like okay there it is right. you have to record it somehow right um but i when i was at ucla uh, uh i finished on my classes my I finished the course and just as i finished the courses the simpsons was hiring so okay. it, was, it was very much the right place at the right time but you know it's like the that old saying you know is is um success is is preparation meets opportunity and so the opportunity was there when I was finishing UCLA, but I had the, the uh, preparation. So right. I had to take a test and I can share, actually, this is a good sure. time I can share that test. And I had to draw Homer. Okay. The drawing on the left is my original first drawing of Homer Simpson. Okay. Uh, I had to take a test and I was given a storyboard and an audio track and told, okay, pose out the, the drawings of Homer I think at this point he was picking up Lisa um, and putting and talking to Lisa and putting, you know, she was sitting on his lap. Okay. Um, but I saved a couple of the drawings and, you know, I had no idea how to, how to pose characters and what you're supposed to do. You can see on the drawing on the left. And I went back and corrected it later, years later, after I tried to draw and did it digitally. I scanned it in and redrew it. But if you look on the drawing on the right, he has some structure to him. Right. Homer has all cartoon characters. They're always, they have some structure to them. There's some volume to them. They're built on shapes. So if you look at Homer, he's built on 
you know, his, his, his hips and waist are a big circle and then the, the shoulders come up from there and the, the sleeves, the shoulders are like teacups upside down and his legs are tubes and his head's like a, a big sausage. Um, and then you can see there's like center lines. You always go with the center lines so you know like where the middle of the character is. So when you turn the character, that center line gives you some volume. And I had no idea about that. But I, um, at the time, I guess my test, I took the test twice. And my second test, I did um, a lot because you're supposed to draw backgrounds, which the background is anything that's not the character. And then it's not moving the character with the character sitting in the environment the character's in. So I, I uh, was able to draw uh, the backgrounds and perspective well enough that they hired me as a background artist. So, um, so I got hired as a background artist, but I really wanted to do the characters because that was where the fun was. Um, for me, and uh, so I, I asked questions. I asked other other artists, like, and I was really blown away when I, I first got hired on The Simpsons. I thought, "There's so many good artists here. What am I doing here? I, I I'm I'm out of my league. This is too. These people are too good for me. <laughs> I I don't belong here." But I, I slowly I asked questions. I asked my director, my bosses, like, "How do you break down a character? How do you pose a character?" I watched and observed and asked, asked a lot of questions. And then I gradually got, um, you know, when we were a little bit behind, I started sketching characters into my background, just on another layer. And my director noticed and said, hey, I noticed you've been drawing some, putting some characters in and we're kind of by, behind you. you. Want to try some character layout? And I thought, ah, oh, this is it, this is great. Right. And every, every time we were behind on, on another uh, aspect of production, my director always came to us and said, does anybody want to learn storyboarding? Does anybody want to learn animatic timing or animation timing? And I was always, yeah, I'll learn that. So I was learning on the job, whatever, you know, my school got to, got me to a point where I was able to, to, um, to get in there and you never stop learning. I just, it, it's not like, well, you learned everything from school and now go like, no, you keep, you keep learning and you always find out that there's always more to learn. There's always more to know. And, you know, animation changes so much, like, like a lot of, uh, uh, professions and, and vocations. Animation changes so much, the software changes, the techniques change, the styles change, um, what is in vogue or what is fashionable. So you, you always are, are looking to improve yourself as an artist. You never stop. Right. And this was my way of like, okay, I, I learned everything. And that actually prepared me to be a director because I was learning backgrounds. I was learning characters. I was learning storyboards. I was learning camera. I was learning all these different things, design, character design, background design. And I didn't realize it that all these things I was absorbing, that was what enabled me to become a director. It's like I learned every bit of every aspect of production. Right. This is usually a question that I keep for much later on. But do you think mm -hmm. you're still learning? And if yes, how so? Oh, yes. Um, I, I learned so much from... Um, I'm a big advocate of, of like when it was like right now we're I'm at Netflix and we're building a, a crew for a new show. So I'm a big advocate of having a wide range of experiences uh, on the crew. So um, I learned from people that are older than me that have, have done different productions in different ways. And I also learned from uh, younger artists that are, are just coming out of school now, or I um, only have maybe two, three, four years experience. They have so much energy and they uh, younger artists are really familiar with software and different styles and I'm constantly learning. I don't want to be stuck in my same right. you know, stylistic rut and like, this is how we did it on Simpsons and this is how we did it. This is, we're only gonna do it this way. So not just creatively, but also we're learning different ways of doing different things, different pipelines. When we say pipeline, it's kind of the production um, 
system that you know, we're using for dense varies from show to show every show is different so you can't really be stuck in like this is this little box of how we do things you have to be open to uh, learning different ways of doing things and i think that keeps me on my toes helps keep me um, i think that's a secret to success is not to get stuck in one one style or one uh, process because um, things change and you have to keep up uh, india is a very conservative society and everyone is encouraged to take the safe path and that's why a lot of super talented people find themselves super talented artists rather find themselves in engineering colleges or medical colleges uh, because uh, li- uh, living a life that they may not necessarily enjoy because that's what society told them to do for an mm-hmm. indian to decide to become an artist uh, it would be a huge deal and they usually face significant uh, pushback from their families did you ever experience anything like this um not really. Um, I was the first in my family to go to college. Um, so it wasn't really expected of me to go to college. Uh, but I think my parents always knew that I was wanted to be an artist because I was always drawing. My brother is also, um, my brother drew a lot of birds and horses. So, but he wanted to be a musician. So he was you know, playing guitar a lot. Um, but that was something that I, I think my parents knew all along that I was going to be, wanted to be an artist. And um, they never questioned like whether it's like something that you can make a living at um but they you know they they encouraged me but um you know they didn't really know because it wasn't really like something go oh, well you know we have you know you know uncle so-and-so is an artist or so mm-hmm. we didn't really know any artists other yeah. than you know you know people that could draw but they yeah. did something else um so i was i was always encouraged to, to do it but um it wasn't until i was in uh, getting close to the college age that uh, um it was, it kind of became like, well, you know, we don't have any money saved for college. So it was, uh, so I went to a, a less expensive school locally, but, um, but I, I do know that it, it is because we, we came from a very working class family. It was, um, you know, if I, if I wasn't doing this, um, I would be doing something probably along the lines of, of construction or, or, um, or, or, uh, you know, I, I still do like, you know, fascinated by trucks and driving trucks and, and my brothers, you know, were truck drivers and uncles are truck drivers and, and my grandfather was a carpenter. So, and I do enjoy carpentry. So I probably would have um, done something like that, like my grandfather did. So, and um, so it wasn't really, it wasn't discouraged, right. but it wasn't um, like, oh, you have to go to college. You have to do this. You have to do that. Um, but I know like every, even, even um, back in New York, I, I do know there were, uh, even with other artists, there um, a lot of times like um, families think like, well, you can't really make a living at that, especially in animation. I mean, what mm. we there's also this myth that in animation you you're like, oh, you're, you're you get your name on TV, you're on the screen, you're going to be a millionaire. Like, not so. There's a handful of right. <laughs> them, like Matt Groening or Seth MacFarlane that have uh, done pretty well for themselves, but uh, and you know we get paid pretty well, but. Uh, um, as far as millionaires, no, I still, you know, still have our bills to pay. But right. so, but my friends and family uh, back in New York think like, oh, you must be, you're famous. Like, no, not really famous. Mm. Um, but it, it, it was never uh, something that really was discouraged. Right. What motivates you to do what you do? What motivates you to go out and do your job every day? Or stay in rather um, and do your job every day? Well, it would, it's, it's, uh, you know, I'm, I guess there's there's times I'm drawing something really silly, like um, you know, drawing Homer Simpson cleaning his ears with a with a, with a gun, you know, right. or 
you know, I'm drawing, you know, uh, uh, you know, just silly monsters or something, or, uh, um, you know, just weird situations or, or, you know, or characters throwing up or vomiting. I'm like, I, you know, I think like, I get, I went to art school for this and I'm getting paid to draw a character vomiting. You know, it's like, it's, uh, those are the times you think, oh, this is pretty cool. So it's, you know, the, to get to do that, there's a lot of mundane days in animation because you you are drawing the same things over and over and over again, just right. the nature of it. But um, but once in a while, you get to draw something really silly and really you know out there or really outrageous, and it's, it's kind of cool. Um, but they, I think that when it comes onto the screen and you look at it and go, hey, it's working. You know, I look at old shows that I did, and when I see them on TV now, you know, years later, and like, oh, that worked pretty good. Or I also sometimes I'll see like. Oh, I should have done that differently. And next time I'm going to do that different. Um, so yeah, I guess it's, it's, uh, it's kind of, you're driven. I think every artist is driven by the need to create something and the need to, to reach out. That's our way of connecting because a lot of animators are introverts. Um, and I think that's our, our way of connecting uh, to the world is like, Hey, I can do this. I'm not, I'm not going to be uh, an actor. I'm not going to be Tom Cruise or, uh, you know Tom Hanks, but I can do this, and I can still be behind the scenes and still be you know my shy self. But I can draw these characters doing outrageous things that I couldn't do. So I think that's what kind of motivates me. And I think as every artist, you're always constantly trying to improve yourself as an artist. You're always looking at other other artists and other art and, and saying, "Oh, I wish I could paint like that. I wish I could draw like that." Uh, I look at other movies and other animated shows and I go, oh, I wish I could do that. So then you're like, okay, I'm going to go back to my desk. I'm going to try to do that better. Who are your biggest influences? Who are your biggest, uh, like, who do you look, look up to from as, as the artist? Uh, in animation? I mean, I, I will, I will it could be in Charles general. Schultz. Who, who, who are your creative influences? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Charles Schultz was a big influence. Ralph Bakshi, because uh, I grew up watching like the, the animated Lord of the Rings movie. When right. I saw that as a kid, that was amazing. I was like, wow, that just, you can draw it elves and goblins and monsters and things uh and sword fights and um um but i also like comedy wise you know i i, I always you know was drawn to um uh dan Aykroyd and bill murray and and uh you know the, the, like comedies like the ghostbusters and, mm. and blues brothers um and and even going back uh i think i was also influenced by um a lot of older movies. I used to watch a lot of old monster movies and old uh, comedies uh, and on TV when they're you know, like these like thirty-year-old movies that are in black and white. And I used to watch a lot of those, like Abbott and Costello, and and uh, um, um, and, and even like weird science fiction movies and things like that. That you right. know, Godzilla movies. Uh, but as far as like like artists, you know, even you know my own painting, I I do in my own creativity creativity i i do like um like the french impressionists and and paul Cezanne and and uh edward manet and just the compositions alone plus the technique so i was i was always kind of influenced by them uh, as well i think there's a little bit of that um but i don't really i don't know if i can pinpoint other than charles schultz and, and hannah barbera and the you know the, the flintstones uh, as being early influences um, of course, all the Warner Brothers cartoons, you know, Chuck Jones and, and uh, um, uh, 
Bob Clampett and 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 uh, Tex Avery, those animators were just you know amazing. They just did stuff that was like they invented the craft of comedy animation. Really, Disney was you know I, I was also influenced by Walt Disney. I think he's a, uh, one of my biggest influences as well because of but if we're in a different side, like Disney was very much into the art of animation right. and very much you know the, the beauty and the composition and the the world and the paintings and, and the color design. Whereas the Warner Brothers cartoons, like Bugs Bunny, they were, that was the comedy. That was the comedy animation. So I think they pioneered that and they, they were a very big influence on me also. Right. Um, so I do stand up and I know that this is true in that context, but I'm sure it's true in a broader sense as well. When people start out in any art field, even if their work is original, they're usually mirroring someone else's style. So how does an artist find their own style? Um, that's a good, that's a great question. It's, it's, it's kind of the thing that you, you can't think about too much to develop your own style. When you consciously think about developing, I'm going to do this, this, and this. It comes, it it's, doesn't come across as genuine. You didn't really arrive at that. I mean, if you think of Picasso, Pablo Picasso, you know, he didn't, he didn't just start out doing abstractions and, and, you know, found things and, um, he actually was a very talented uh, draftsman, very good artist um, in, in realism. So he arrived at that. So you can't really just start out at like, oh, here's my style. Um, some people are, are fortunate that their drawing style just happens to be, you know, the, just the way they doodle or the way they come across, the way they just think, and the style just comes across. So some, so to some people, it becomes natural. Um, Others like myself, I've gone through my own personal work has gone through like different styles. So I'm constantly evolving it until I, until I arrive at something that, that I'm, I'm happy with. And, um, you know, sometimes you're con- you might be constantly searching for that style uh, or that, that unique uh, take on things. But when you find it, then you, that's when it's like, okay, this is, musicians go through the same thing with, you know, finding that right sound or that right, that right tone or that right composition or that right style of composition. So you're, you're, you know, you're, you're constantly evolving until it gets to a point. And even then when you get to a point like, okay, this is, this is working and I like what's going on here. Then you, you, you get to a plateau and you're like, okay, now I want to, I want to get, you know, branch out from that. I don't want to, I don't want to repeat myself. Mm-hmm. So then it becomes a challenge like, okay, how can I evolve this style even more? And, you know, it's, when you look at like, like Matt Groening, for instance, his his got a very distinct style, which carries from Simpsons to Futurama to now Disenchantment. Right. Uh, Seth MacFarlane also, you know, American Dad and Family Guy, or you know, similar similar styles of writing as well as the designs. Um, Mike Judge, who did Beavis and Butthead um, and King of the Hill, his style kind of evolved. Like if you look at um, Beavis and Butthead and King of the Hill, they're very different. And he had a later series, Tales from the uh, it was Tales from the um, Tour Bus, that was even more realistic and, and different again. Uh, but then again, he also did a lot of live action movies. So that may have been an influence there too. So um, yeah, it's, it's, it's difficult. You just, you just always just come up with something new and try not to repeat yourself. And I, and I think you, that's the challenge. And then when you rise to that challenge, it's, it's it, 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 you'll know, and it pops out. Right. Do you play any part in, in putting the Easter eggs in the background for the people who pay extra attention? Uh, yeah, sometimes. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Is that a writer's job uh, usually, or is it an animation director's job? Um, it, it could be anybody, you know, uh, uh, depends on the show, a show like Simpsons or family guy, we, that was scripted. So, right. uh, we had to stick to the script and that was, right. 
that was generally the Fox, uh, all the Fox shows. You had to stick to the script, and that was that was it. Right. Um, whereas with um, uh, Rick and Morty, it was a little bit more collaborative. So okay. Justin Roiland would say, you know, if you had an idea for a joke or something, or put something in the background, um, you'd run it by Justin, and it, if he said no, he's okay. Well, I won't do it. But sometimes he would say, yeah, that's that's funny. Put that in, you know, or mm -hmm. you, you have an idea for a new joke or new line. Like, yeah, I'll go record that. Let's put that in. Um, but sometimes like yeah like well there there is one in, in Rick and Morty uh where there is actually um a prop from uh, uh I think it's Gravity Falls and okay. and Justin Roiland and, and Alex Hirsch were good friends so they they came up with this thing together where there was uh one of the characters in Gravity Falls threw something into a portal and and it came out in, in one of the portals on Rick and Morty oh. where they actually got the, the prop and, and like animated it into the Rick and Morty episode. So it was like connected. And, and it was a little thing if you hadn't seen the, and it was a very guarded secret. Only Justin, the editor and the producer knew about it. Right. Um, but it was a very guarded secret. He didn't want to dig it out until it was just to see if anybody noticed it. Um, um, but yeah, it was, it was a kind of a thing that they cooked that up together um, between the two of them. But, uh, but yeah, sometimes you, you will we'll put something in the background, um, uh, that that's visual that wasn't in the script or, you know, the, the writers might not even have known about that would put something in the background. Like, I mean, I put my, I put my kids in family guy. Oh. actually. Right. Um, I had them designed by the, the character designer. I put them, I think they were uh, out. Uh, they were out in her, you know, waiting to rent a video. Um, and another scene, they were out in front of the library smoking cigarettes. Right. <laughs> so was, they were, they're teenagers, but right. um but yeah, sometimes we get to put those things in, uh, and and I encourage artists to do that as long as it's not something like, um, you know, if you if you put in, uh, well, I, I did actually a Planet of the Apes reference in a Disney show, or um, this uh, 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 it was a, a gorilla that's doing taxes. Okay. You know, I I gave him like a, a an accountant uh, stamp with a number as official. And the, the number on the stamp was the year that Planet of the Apes took place because I'm a okay. big Planet of the Apes fan. So, right. um, so sometimes, yeah, you, sometimes it's just the board artist puts it in or the character designer or um, uh, I know a friend of mine puts in, uh, I think it was his brother. Uh, every time his brother um, was lying growing up, he, he would always do this. He was like, no, that wasn't me. It was somebody else. Right. He would always rub his nose like that. So um, uh, my friend, uh, Swinton Scott, he always puts he, he would put in like when homer was lying about something he would always do that gesture because right. it was his brother he would do that when he was when his brother was lying he would he would uh, do that so every time in a swinton scott episode you might see um you know if homer's lying like, no it wasn't me it was somebody <laughs> else and he, he would do that gesture so yeah it's usually it's usually us but sometimes the writers will put things in there too and that'll be you know either scripted or they'll come to us and say hey put this in the back right uh, what was your reaction when you heard the Rick and Morty, Morty concept? Well, I, I saw that the, the pilot episode. Um, I hadn't heard okay. about it until a uh, um, producer friend of mine. I was working on Family Guy at the time, and a producer friend of mine, Mike Mandel, had, uh, I'd worked with him a couple of years earlier, and out of the blue, he um, called me and said, hey, I'm, I just finished a pilot, and it got picked up for a series, and we're looking for a supervising director. Are you available? And I said, well, my contract box is coming up. Uh, send me what you got. Let me see. So it was a Friday. He sent me, um, emailed me a, a link to uh, the episode one, basically of Rick and Morty. And I watched it over the weekend. And then Monday I called him and said, yeah, sign me up. I'm, right. I'm in. That's the funniest thing I've ever seen. Yeah. So, 
um, and it was so unique and it was like, I, I gotta be on the show and, and, you know, whether I take, I even took a pay cut to, right. to work on it. It was, it was like, is it that good? I gotta be on this. Right. So how good do you have to be at art to work in animation at being able to draw art? Uh, well, there's different levels. Okay. I mean, I, I don't consider myself a, a really good digital painter because um, the background painting is involved so much digitally because we do it on Photoshop and right. you really need to know Photoshop quite well and how to really manipulate it. I can do that with paint, actual paintbrushes and physical paint, acrylics or watercolor, but I, I, I'm not as good at it as, just because I'm not as practiced at it in Photoshop. But so if you're really good at, at, at something, you focus on something, then you become the best at it. But you don't, for, for my position as a director, I don't have to be the best background painter. I don't have to be the best character designer, but I know what works and I know what will work for that series or that episode. And also what, and it is a business, so you have to keep in mind, it's like you don't want to make your character designs too busy because someone's going to have to animate that. It's right. going to take a long time and it's going to you know, delay things. Um, but you, there's variations of it. If you're, you know, I, I know some artists that do characters um, and like, I don't like drawing backgrounds because my perspective is terrible. Or I know background artists that they're like, I can do perspective and backgrounds, but I, I can't make characters act. I don't know how to do that. So you don't necessarily necessarily need to be super great at everything. There's there's always something in animation that, that I mean, even as a director, I don't need to be, uh, I, I my job is to, Put everything together and coordinate everything and 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 i need to be able to be um, well versed in design and storyboarding and staging and acting but i don't have to be the actor myself i don't have to be um you know i i i can still do those things maybe i'm not the best action storyboard action uh, artist but i know what works and if i can't draw it i know that somebody else can so it doesn't doesn't necessarily mean that you have to be like the best at everything. Right. Uh, you find one thing that you really really like and, and focus on that. And uh, for me, it was it was the characters that I, I really wanted to do, and I couldn't do them at first, as you can see from that Homer drawing. Right. So I learned. I asked questions, and and I I broke it down. It's like okay, I'm going to study this and figure out why this works and what I can do to improve what I do. Right. With the series requiring to be on tight schedule, is there room for last minute improvisation or is everything as per script? Uh, and are there any animation cheat codes? So uh, this uh, whoever's asking, is, uh, it's this uh, page that makes these uh, cute little graphic design things. It's called Motifers. Yeah. Shout out Motifers. So th uh, they want to know if, is, if scripting is animation friendly. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, there, there's there's... Well, South Park is, they're known for, you know, if something's in the news today, it's going to be on South Park next week. So right. they are known for, for working all hours and, and, you know, just changing things at the last minute to before it airs. Right. Um, there's been right. times where, where I've had to paint cells by before it was digital. Um, you know, before, you know, we're painting cells in the conference room table to shoot it so it gets on the air on Sunday and we're painting cells on Thursday or Friday. So there's there's a lot of times there's there's last minute changes that that can be done. Um, as far as like it, 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 like improv, if it, if if an actor you know or say a writer says like, you know we we can come up with a better line for this and have the actor come up with something or ad lib something, they will need to give us some lead time like because you do have to like okay now I got to take that that dialogue and okay they got a better performance now I want to punch that up so you do need like a day or so really to get in there and and 
quickly change things. So he, there was there was a lot of room for improv. And I, I I do me personally for my own animation projects I um, that I do on the side. I love taking existing dialogue and drawing something new to it. And whether that be and and you know something I'm I'm working on developing right now is is um, coming up with characters and I'm working with a writer to come up with some premises and we'll just show that to a comedian and say, okay, this is your character. You're, you, you, you're in the backseat of a taxi cab. Um, and you know, this is happening. Uh, go. And your wife is having a baby, you know, and yeah. go and then just make, have them ad lib something and we'll animate to that. So, right. you know, I think that that adds to the spontaneity of it. Um, uh, you know, I, I love doing that. I, I love taking uh, old radio plays, even old, um, you know, 1940s, 1950s radio plays and, you know, they might be detective stories or, or, or uh, you know, superhero stories or something. Or, um, and then animating something new to that, like drawing something new. Like, okay, well, you know, these are not detectives anymore. Now they're, they're vegetables. Right. And there's a talking onion and a talking potato. And they're trying to solve a crime. Yeah. But it's like they're serious dialogue. But right. you can draw something else. It doesn't matter. Right. Um, so I'll end this with the last few questions. Are, are there any books or podcasts that you recommend often? Oh yeah, the best book for animation is Richard Williams' um, Animator Survival Kit, and it's it's r written and drawn, uh, and it's all like full of drawings, and it explains how animation works in the best way possible, just with drawings. And that was that book is written by the director of Roger Rabbit, so that is is the best book for animation. Um, there is a, a podcast that some friends of mine do. Um, it's called Animation Success Stories. Um, you can you can look up that uh, look that up and it's it's it started by a couple of uh, Rick and Morty artists that okay. decided they were on the interview at all, you know all their friends and 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 animation to see you know every because every everybody's success story is different everybody has come to a different path so there's no really no it kind of goes back to the question earlier but you know how do you get into it there's no one set way to get into animation everybody comes from a different background a different perspective different discipline even um, but there's, you know, once you, once you get there, there's, you know, getting into animation is, is half the only half the battle. Right. Staying there is, is another half of the battle. Right. What are three things that you want to do before you die? Oh, um, uh, well, I know a lot of people say skydiving, but I don't want to do that unless the plane's on fire. Right. Uh, <laughs> um, uh, I, I I do like to travel, so there's a lot of places I'd like to go. Right. Uh, oh, I always I always wanted. It, it seemed weird, but I always wanted to um, sleep in the. I don't know if you've seen those camper trucks that have like the. There's a bed over the over the uh, cab of the truck. I always wanted to sleep in one of those for okay. some reason. Right. <laughs> but and you know I, I I always I I've never been to London. I want to see Stonehenge. Right. Uh, there's things like that that I I've never been to Japan. I would love to go to Japan. Uh, have you been to India? I have been to India. Yes, I've been to uh, Hyderabad, and I uh, last year I spoke at a, uh, IIT in Gwati, and I've been to Delhi. Right. I've never been to Goa. I haven't been. To <laughs> you Goa have to yet. come to Goa. But I, I definitely want to go back to it, India. It's I, the I most beautiful that. place in India. <laughs> it's on the coast, right? It is. Yeah. Yes, yeah, so I have never seen the coast of India yet, but uh, but I, I I loved India. I love the people. I love the food. I didn't think I would love Indian food so much, but it was it was you know Indian food. In America, it's not the same. Right. Until they go to India. Goa isn't really, doesn't really have the conventional Indian food because it used to be a Portuguese colony. So oh, really? there's a lot of Portuguese oh. influence in the food and the culture. 
so yeah, there's that. So you have to come to Goa. Oh, I definitely will do that. Yeah, and and so that's that's probably the what I want to do most. Uh, right. If I would, if if somebody gave me uh, enough money now to quit my job, that's what I would do. I would just be traveling around the world. Right. The last question I have for you is: What advice do you have for young artists who want to pursue a career in animation or in fine art in general? Learn the business. Learn the business. That's. Um, and and whether you're uh, becoming an, an actor or a musician, um, an, a fine artist, a painter, a sculptor, or in, in animation, you have to know something about the way the business is run because it's it's easy to get taken advantage of, or or you just might not even get to it. You might think like, oh, I just want to I just want to play music. I just want to compose music. Well, how do you sell that music? How are you going to make a living at it? Or, or you might think, oh, I want to I just want to sculpt. I just want to carve things that are or make uh, ceramics or, or, or paint oil paintings. Well, you know, it's, it's very important to be, to, to strive to be the best that you can at that, but you also have to find a way to make a living at that. You have to know like, well, somebody's going to have to pay your bills somehow. You're going to either sell paintings or you're going to have to know how a gallery business works or music publishing works. Or even if you want to be a writer, how you know book publishing works and how online publishing has has changed, um, and in animation it's the same thing. It's like, well, how does the business of animation work? I just I'm not just going to sit here and you know somebody's going to throw money at me to draw silly pictures. Like, how do I get that job? How do I keep that job? What is it that the employer is looking for to get me to to um, to want to pay me to draw these silly pictures. And if it's something like you want to pitch your own shows, your own animated shows, know the market. If you're pitching, let's say you're pitching a show to Cartoon Network, you have to know what else they have on Cartoon Network because what you have might not fit with what they have stylistically or, or Nickelodeon. You know, your, your show idea might be a better fit for Nickelodeon or it might be, if it's an adult show, it might be a better fit for Adult, uh, adult Swim or Comedy Central. So you have to know something about the business of, of the creative business, uh, the business of art. Um, the same thing with, with actors. You have to know like, well, how do you go on auditions? How do you get auditions? How, how do you, you just don't just show up, you know, are there publications? Are there, are there websites that you should be constantly checking? Are there podcasts? So there's, you have to do a lot of research other than just working on the art. Right. Thank you so much for doing this. This was honestly so insightful and this was a oh, lot of fun. Thank you for having me. Yeah, this, well, I'll have to get out. I'll uh, have to get to go sometime and, Definitely. and, and uh, see you in person. Right. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, thanks so much for having me. I, 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 this is great. This has been fun. Right. Uh, and. Thank you so much for staying till the end of this episode. If you liked it, don't forget to like, share and subscribe and share this with all of your friends.